Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Buey, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering, what a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Welcome. This is Elise Bowie at the Maximum Mom podcast, and I'm really glad everyone is here today. And I really am happy to introduce one of my associates who works for our firm, and she is also a single mom. And I think she has a lot of insight into what people go through trying to do both be a parent and then be a single parent and try to practice law at the same time. So welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, tell us, I always love to start out with just tell us what, who makes you a family? Like who is in your home? How old? And tell us about that. So it's my seven-year-old daughter and I, actually she'll be eight in a couple of weeks. And our two cats, which are, we have two black cats. Their names are Lumos and Knox. So we're, we're into Harry Potter over here. I don't know if you get the reference to the spell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome how old are your cats they we got them right before the pandemic actually and they have really just made our house feel so much more like a home during the pandemic so oh, I, feel I, really, I feel really lucky with the timing of that um, but they'll be two in the summer they were rescue cats that's awesome does your daughter help care for them you know sort of <laughs> she likes the playing with them more than you know the work aspect of that <laughs> Are they indoor, outdoor? They're indoor. Okay. So you have to deal with the litter box thing. Yes, but I have an automatic litter box. Do you have a cat? I do. I have, well, two now. We we lost one during the pandemic. I do not have an automatic litter box. Okay. okay. I need to learn about this. It's like, do you scoop cat poop? Well, I don't. My son does, but I'm going to as soon as he goes to college. So girl, no, tell me all the scoop. Yeah, you don't have to scoop anymore. So I have a automatic litter box. I think it was like, it was like $200. And then it's more expensive. You have to pay, like, I think I pay $50 a month for, for the litter, but the litter comes in these trays. And I used to just dread scooping poop. I just, I dreaded it. I would, I would think about it. I would try to take a shower every time after it, I would plan my showering around scooping the litter box. So now I just take out the old tray, put it in a new tray, put the lid over the box and throw the entire box away. I don't even see cat poop. What? Yeah. And it can go for like, it says that it can go for like, uh, or some cats can go without changing that box thing for 14 days with two cats. I can only do it for about five to six days. Right. But that means I only have to even deal with it once a week and don't have to see it or smell it or touch it or look at it. Wait a minute. This is game changing (laughs) cat ownership information. It was, it changed my life. Okay, you're going to have to send me a link via Slack of about the automatic litter box because, I mean, literally I've spent the last, I don't even know how many years discussing cat poo with my children. I'll be like, do y'all smell the cat poo? And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh yeah, you do. <laughs> it, it is. It's it's completely life-changing. I don't know why people are still scooping. I, I feel like I have a duty to like go tell people that they don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> well, you do. You need to be evangelizing this automatic. <laughs> I mean, this is huge. Like, 
I, I don't know though what your daughter gets to learn out of owning a cat though, if she does not get the joy of the scoop, because I definitely think the scooping has been very important in my children's development, you know, like taking care of cats. And I mean, just having to do regularly because I'm not, I mean, I'm a, a hardcore scoop schedule girl. Like I think it needs to be scooped like every 24 hours and then it needs to be changed completely like every three days. And so my poor son is just like, this is a level of litter care that I think is beyond the pale of what is needed. Oh no. <laughs> uh, well, I will say it's one of those things where until your child is old enough to do something well, it's a lot more work for you to delegate that task. And honestly, for my like mental health, her spilling cat poop everywhere and then me cleaning that up was just not one of the <laughs> battles I want to pick on that particular <laughs> task. Oh my gosh, I totally... <laughs> oh my gosh, just yesterday we had this situation. I walk in my laundry room and I mean, there is litter everywhere. I was like, what in the dickens happened here? And I was like, Ethan, you need to go clean up the litter. Obviously the cats made a huge mess. And he was like, oh no, that was me. I was like, what? <laughs> and he goes, oh yeah, I scooped. I picked up, put all the litter in the bag and then I picked up the garbage bag and it broke. I was like, oh no. Oh, and I was no. like, yeah, there's still litter on the floor. He goes, I picked up most of it. Like most does not even count. You must get it all. And then you have to mop. Yeah, it's gross. There's little pieces of poop everywhere. So the box thing also, so when the cat poops, it senses the cat's presence in the thing. And then there's a rake. And so the rake pushes all the poop and it waits like that. You can set it to five, 10 or 15 or 20 minutes after the cat leaves the litter box. So depending on how wet your cat's poop is, you want to wait till it dries because otherwise it will get stuck on the little rake thing. But assuming it's dry enough, the little rake thing pushes all the poop into the this like cardboard flap thing and it goes under the cardboard flap. And again, you never ever have to open that flap. You just take the other box out, put it on top when your changing time day is once a week and then just throw the whole thing in the trash. I really, I mean, this has literally been worth the entire podcast <laughs> learning about this. I would have never known about this had we not discussed this here. Oh my gosh, this is like really game changing. I'm going to have to get it quick, but then it's really going to annoy my son because it's literally like, I don't know, two months before he leaves to go to college. And I'll be like, oh, look at this handy new thing I have now. No, I think it'll be life-changing for him too, because he still has to come home and, you know, right. do it every once in a while at least. And it's just, it's just a cool thing. Like it's a cool thing to watch too. <laughs> I also, one of the things I tried, this is a podcast about cats, right? <laughs> I tried to toilet train my cats. Really? Well, I started working from home. Yeah, that didn't work. Um, yeah. So then I ended up with the other solution, which was this. That's amazing. Well, I love I love that how dedicated you are to not touch the poop and to like really make it where cat ownership can be poop free. I mean, cause that's huge. Well, I don't have a laundry room. So there was well, like no place for the cats to have a room where they can poop. Right. In. I just have a closet. So the litter box has been like a really terrible thing in my life. <laughs> It, well, it really is. And I mean, we've had laundry rooms in our last house. We moved to this um, little house when the pandemic first started and I made Doug build a door so they could go out into the garage. So we had a kitty door. So the litter was actually in the garage and that was like super nice. Now in our current house, 
the garage, like it's not attached, attached. So I'm trying to get Doug and Ethan to build some type of catio walkway and just do a hole up in the wall where they could just walk from inside the house down into the garage. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So they're not convinced we quite need that yet, but I think it would be awesome. And I think it's nice too. Sometimes if the cats are just kind of being ornery, they sometimes just need to be in the garage and they can play. And Ethan usually has a project car, so they'll play all over that. I mean, I'll come out and the cats will be in the engine bay or, you know, (laughs) under weird things. And I'm like, oh, see, they're having fun out here. They like it. Yeah, change the environment. I love that you got the cats right before the pandemic. I mean, I, I think people who just kind of lucked into that getting pets or able to get pets at the beginning of the pandemic have been really blessed by having, you know, pets during this time at home, especially kids. Definitely. Yeah. It was a huge adjustment for us. The yeah. pandemic. So having the cats was definitely, definitely changed the whole experience. Oh yeah. I bet. How has your daughter done with remote learning during the pandemic? How's that been going? It's evolved. So I feel really lucky with the age that she is. So she was, she finished her, so she's in second grade now. So she was halfway through last year. And if it would have been one year earlier, she wouldn't have been able to read, which would have been like seven times amount, the the amount of work that I would have to do to facilitate school, which I haven't really had time to do. And because she could at least read, we had her read like every day. And so her reading, she's like really good in reading. She sounds like a 13 year old. It's actually really terrifying when she talks. Um, she argues like one too. <laughs> it's horrible, but she's really learned zoom. She can troubleshoot zoom. She can do almost everything faster than I can now at this point. Yeah. I think there will be like, I mean, it's been hard, especially for only kids, you know, I mean, she's by herself like every day, all day. But I think that there are some benefits that we'll see in the future kind of coming out of like the kids that learned online for a year. Right. Like also, I mean, I never saw her before. I commuted for work when the pandemic started. So our our regular routine was I would drop her off. I would wake her up at 6, 12 a.m., which was normally still dark. And I would drop her off at 635 so I could make it over the bridge before seven o'clock before the toll increased and rush hour, which would then cause me to take another hour to get to work. And then in order to get up at six o'clock, she had to go to bed. You know, she had to be in bed by seven. So when we got home, we had like one hour together after I picked her up where I would have to check backpacks, clean out lunch boxes, prep lunch for the next day, make dinner, clean. And so, I mean, I never saw her. So, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for the time that we had over the last year because now I see like, you know, probably too much of her. (laughs) Yeah, but that's really awesome. I mean, wow, what a difference in schedule. I mean, I know, you know, like how our office is virtual and it's something that I feel really strongly about. The amount of time we waste in commuting is absurd. I mean, it's just, you might as well just be throwing away your, you know, your good waking hours. and. I just, I was not a fan of commuting at all. No, it's horrible. It's tiring too. It's just, it's mentally adds to like the, how tired you are just in general, because you're already tired once you get to work and you're twice as tired. Absolutely. Well, and I I mean, I try when I commute, 
Like I would listen to podcasts or things, try to make it kind of interesting. Did you do that too? Or did you, cause I know some people really ruminate, like when they're commuting, they'll think about work or what happened. And then it's kind of like they get, they're even more stressed. You know, it, it wasn't a good downtime in between work and home. Yeah, I tried. I would off and on do like audiobooks or podcasts, or I just like needed to like zone out. Right. Yeah. And I find the um, cooking, I mean, have you found being able to work from home helps you in your meal prep where you can like throw something on earlier and, and then dinner is just not as big a deal? For sure. Yeah. I had to, before I had to pretty much plan in advance because it was, or we ate a lot of freezer, freezer right. food, but yeah, now you can throw something in a crock pot. It takes you five minutes in between. You don't have to have it all planned out ahead of time. Exactly. And yeah, my daughter, I love daughter that. how to cook. Right. And she's learned a lot of things from me and from hanging out with me all year that she wouldn't have otherwise learned. But I mean, it was really sad for her. School was her whole world. She was in before and after school childcare and she was super close to like all the kids and her, you know, her, the childcare instructors, right. even it was like her whole entire world that completely she lost, you know, without warning. It was just like one day right. it was canceled the next day and then it was canceled indefinitely. And, you know, here we are in April, <laughs> a year and a month. And she's so excited for her first day of school on Thursday. Oh, I was going to ask you. So it is this Thursday. Yes. And what is it a hybrid schedule she's going in under? Yeah. So it's two days a week. So she's Thursday, Friday, and then the other two days are remote. But I mean, it's not even the learning for her. It's like the social interaction. She just needs to like be somewhere else. And like, I mean, she started to develop like social anxiety around other kids. I've noticed she's scared to go talk to people she doesn't know. Right. Always been a super adaptable, outgoing kid. So it's really unlike her. Yeah, well, I think we're going to see all kinds of mental health things emerge from children during this pandemic. I mean, I think it's going to be all across the board, you know, how children have reacted. And I think you mentioned and make such a great point. I think there's a big difference between an only child versus a child who might have two, three, four siblings at home. That looks really different, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, good, bad and ugly, but, you know. Yeah, no, I had a lot of her friends be like, I can't imagine, you know, they fight like cats and dogs, but they have each other. And I can't imagine if they didn't. And I'm like, yeah, it's hard. It's hard for her. It's been right. Even I found this note that she wrote last year, like school had been out for a week and she could barely write. And she wrote something like school is where your friends are and your friends want to be with you, too. I miss school. I miss my friends. And that was like, you know, like March 15th, 2020. So. Wow. I mean, have you during the course of this year? I mean, do you think she understands? Like, I don't have a child that age now. So I'm curious. I mean, what what has she understood about the medical stuff or the virus itself? I mean, how have you had to address that with her? I can't say that I've ever succeeded in getting her to be like that scared of it. You know, she doesn't really care about germ she's not the very clean kid but she does worry about other people so mostly it's been about my parents we just went to palm springs to visit my parents who kind of got stuck there in february of last year so that was you know the first time she got to hug her grandparents in you know almost a year and a half and then her dad and i had different 
views, <laughs> that's a very generous word, on how, what kind of guidelines you know, people should be taking um, with regards to COVID. And so that's been a struggle too. And also a struggle that a lot of my clients have had and the law hasn't really been able to be super helpful um, in that regard because nobody knows what the right thing to do is. And then it's all about kind of evaluating risk, which is really 90% of your job as a parent anyway. And then you don't agree and then you're stuck in a pandemic and everyone's lives are upside down. I mean, it's madness. How did you and your ex deal with that? Like, I mean, how have you all navigated these differing views? Because that's obviously, it's an ongoing thing. I know, I mean, in our firm caseload and my caseload as a parenting coordinator, I mean, people are completely not seeing eye to eye on summer, how they're going to handle summer vacations or quarantine still required. Are they not, you know, so how have you all navigated that? I mean, we'll, we'll kind of fight and we'll argue about it, but ultimately you, you have to co-parenting is like a lot of letting go and relinquishing a hundred percent of control and being able to make all the decisions by yourself and realizing that, you know, the other parent may not care for your child the way that you would do it, but you know, that's the situation that you put your child in. So it's your job to kind of figure that out with the other person and not make it a burden on the child. Right. Um, so we have always, we have kind of always done that, luckily. Yeah. Um, I can't a- imagine having some of the fights that my clients have over what I perceive to be rather trivial matters that are just making everybody miserable. Right. Um, I think I told you too that my parents fought over custody of us throughout most of my childhood and it was, it was exhausting. Right. It is exhausting. I mean, do you find, though, when you can bring your own experience to bear when you're working with clients, does that help the situation? Or do you find that sometimes, you know, you think, oh, my gosh, what are you hitting over? And then it makes it almost harder sometimes because you're just like, you can figure this out. Yeah, no, it's definitely both those things. I think I get I'm more inclined to get frustrated because I mean, we, we've definitely had our problems and I, I mean, I don't want to get into like all the drama, but there was definitely a lot of drama. So it's not like we just always had this like great, amazing relationship. It was, it was work and we had right. to decide that, you know, it wasn't about us, but yeah. So I do get really frustrated when they can't agree on like what time, because <laughs> I feel like we would never have a fight over that. But I do also think it helps because a lot of people, you end up as their attorney being the only person or one of the few people in their lives that really understands what's going on and what their family dynamic is like. Right. Um, and so I do, um, I do think it helps to kind of give them like personal examples, which I end up doing a lot. Right. Um, because again, most people, they don't, a lot of times they don't have friends that have separated. And so they don't know, they have no idea how co-parenting is supposed to work or like what they're supposed to do. The law is confusing. The law is so confusing. I mean, I love those conversations when you're telling somebody, I just had one in the last couple of days. I was like, the law says this. So ideally, you know, this is what would happen, but this is what I've seen in the last, you know, three months, six months, completely opposite from what the law says. Um, You know, here's the reasons I think it's opposite, but that's just kind of an individual judge thing. And I feel like they must look at us like, do you not know the answer to this? 
And I'm like, uh, no, we really don't. I mean, because I have seen some pretty wild rulings during the pandemic where things that I think to myself, no way is a judge going to order a you know one-year-old baby to fly on airplanes to a parent across the country with no vaccinations, no nothing, and the child's got asthma. And yeah, that's what happened. And I was like, really? We think that's a good idea? But I mean, it's been pretty wild. I think the decisions, I mean, have you found that where the decisions are just not as uniform as normal? Yeah, because commissioners are people too. And they also have differing views in what people should be doing and what kind of risk is acceptable and what kind of risk is not. And as people who honestly are trying to figure out this new system and maybe read some documents for like 20 minutes that somebody wrote and then someone's lawyer rewrote entirely. Um, I mean, they're just, they're kind of just rolling dice, but, and people get really frustrated, but also if you don't want to end up in that situation, then you have to work it out with the person that is the other parent of your child. And sometimes like you get really frustrated with my clients too. I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't want to be in your situation either. That's why, you know, I don't have, I don't have a parenting plan. I don't have a child supportive. We don't, I mean, obviously I could have one, but right. Not, it's not helpful to do that. It's it's better, obviously, even if you have to have one, it's better if you can put it in a drawer yeah. and agree on things together yep. that makes sense for your situation and your family, which only, you know, the two of you know, really. Exactly. I tell people all the time, I'm like, I hope we draft the most amazing parenting plan that you can lose. And then you have to search for it for like an hour, the one time you need it, because you have no idea where it is, because you don't look at it. You know, you're able to work it out. And people are like, that is really weird. I'm like, but that's your goal is to just not need it and to be able to to really look at your child and say, oh, you know, I think it'd be great for so-and-so to go spend two weeks with you right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you have a great trip planned or whatever and um, and be able to just do what's right for the child. I think it is so, so hard though for people to get them over themselves and get to that point where they can do what's right for their child, you know? Oh, but having the court decide things. I mean, there are so many times I'm just like, oh, do we really want a commissioner to decide this when it's taken me like two hours to even understand what you want? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. how is a commissioner going to be able to do this in a hearing? You know, I-, I worry a lot about those types of things because I think people want to put so much responsibility on somebody else in making decisions. Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating too, because I mean, we're officers of the court, so it's kind of the system that we're participating in and having as a solution, but it often doesn't give the right solution. And the clients, sometimes I feel my clients are like, nope, we can't agree. I don't want to agree. I just want the court to decide who's right and who's wrong. And it's like, the court is not God. You know, the court has its own flaws and biases too. And there is no, it's not that black and white. There is no right. And there is no wrong. There's like, 79,000 different shades of gray. Exactly. <laughs> I said that the other day too. And I was like, I guess that reference now has its own connotation. Yeah, I guess you can't say that anymore. <laughs> it's like all the different kinds of cat shit. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so true though. I mean, I think it is just really complicated. 
The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and podcasts and video, we are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. I'm going to put you on the spot. You'll be happy to know I put Amy on the spot too. I mean, now that you're working in a firm that is virtual and stuff, I mean, can you tell us some of the things that have been good and some of the things that have been bad? And feel free to be bluntly honest, because I think it helps a lot of law firm owners as we're all navigating this now. And people, I mean, often in these groups that I belong in where, you know, it's like a lot of law firm owners, people ask questions like, well, how do you keep your virtual employees engaged or how do you do this and how do you do that? And so being able to hear from somebody who's done both a practice that was not virtual and then a practice that is virtual. Tell us some of those pros and cons. I mean, I think obviously I wouldn't have been able to do any of any of the remote schooling and facilitating that for my kid. It's not like having a teenager who can get online and reset their passports themselves. She can't do any of that. So I wouldn't have been able to do that. I mean, in the beginning of the pandemic, I was bringing her to my office and both of us were just getting super frustrated. So from a homeschooling perspective, obviously that was, it's been like invaluable, but I also, I have more energy. I have more time. I have more ability to sort of multitask throughout the day and take breaks and focus. And then I don't mind taking like a client phone call, like in the evening or normally I'd be like, I have one hour where I need to, you know, I need to be off. (laughs) Um, But I do think, I do think in a lot of ways it's really helpful for clients too, because uh, it saves them a ton of money on legal fees. I mean, I used to have to bill, you know, whatever, $300, $400 an hour to sit in rush hour traffic for an hour. And I hated doing that. And so I would eat a lot of my time for that, which wasn't really fair to me. Um, but it didn't seem fair to my clients either because right. traffic in Seattle was so horrendous. <laughs> um, so that, and then, I mean, I think as people have gotten more used to Zoom, they're less, they're less inclined to be like, no, I want to sit down with you like face-to-face because, you know, you can really be face-to-face on Zoom. It's easier to manage everyone's schedules. Right. Um, it's easier to take breaks when you're in an all-day mediation, which is really, really tiring and stressful. Um, they can take breaks and go pet their cat or, you know, go check their work email or, you know, do whatever without having to feel on like 100% of the day. I have found that to be so true. Those all-day mediations I mean, where we can actually turn off our video. I mean, I'll tell my client, I'm like, why don't we both turn off our video, turn off our mic, you go do what you need to go do for a bit. I'll do what I need to do. And you just don't feel like you're, you know, for especially for people who are not extroverted, I find mediations to be really somebody all day long. I mean, it is draining for some people, mm-hmm. really draining. And I have found mediations to be actually positive by Zoom. And I think you can really tell. I mean, I try to communicate with my client by text a lot during the mediation, if it happens or if it's something I'm a guardian that lied him. 
on because if if somebody is really getting like flooded or they're getting pretty exhausted, I really want them to just shoot me a note and be like, you know, I need a break, you know, and and I have found that that because I think a lot of people worried that Zoom wouldn't allow you to really know how your client's doing. But I think there's ways we can work around that. And I know the mediators really appreciate not having to deal with, you know, just being there, having people in their office 12, 14, 16 hours, you know. And I have found the mediations have resolved quicker than when we've been in person. Yeah. And it allows the clients who are often in the same situation. They've got kids at home that they're also trying to feed them in between whatever sessions and get them on their Zooms at all the right times. I mean, we're kind of all in that situation. And so people I've noticed, mediators, clients, uh, opposing counsel are all kind of more understanding when there are the dogs barking in the background (laughs) or Amazon is delivering something and they don't want to leave it on their front doorstep. Right. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, Zoom has definitely been a game changer for all of us, you know, in how we deal with things. Yeah. And to kind of what you were saying, my dad was kind of worked for a really traditional conservative company. And he's like, no, people need to be back in person. People, you can't do that. People aren't going to like that. People want to see their attorney face to face. And I'm like, but we do do that. We are face to face. And then it doesn't cost them so much. And then we don't all have to have the drive time and um, the it's kind of more, it's less, it's less stressful for them. I also find the mediation is much less stressful for them when they're Absolutely. at home. Same Absolutely. with, and same with even hearings, like yep. going and sitting on the family law motions calendar and waiting, you know, two hours for your hearing and having to pay me to sit there for two hours to listen to the commissioners yell at people and people cry and, you know, get results that they don't like. It's, it's awful. It's- it is awful. Well, and I think just the driving, I mean, I know going to King County, like driving there, parking, dealing with the, the drama of just getting out of your car and getting yes. to court past, you know, the various and sundry people on the streets. And I mean, there are many times when clients got to be in court and I felt like they were shell-shocked just from getting there. And, you know, then you're having to kind of bring them off the ceiling just from their drive, their park, and their walk. And then I'm like, okay, and now you're going to sit for a solid two, three hours. You're going to hear all this horrible stuff. Your stomach is going to be turning upside down. Then you're going to have your hearing and you're going to be dissatisfied at the end. It's going to be a lovely experience. Or we could try again and maybe you could do the exchange at the Starbucks on this street instead of that street. Like maybe you could find a different, you know, way to like win the fight. I know that you did the dishes more during your marriage and I know that they didn't do anything or they cheated on you or this or that, but. Oh my gosh. It's it's just so true though. All the things that, oh yeah. And people don't realize, I mean, sometimes I've had clients who are, you know, that client that wants to fight everything. I mean, everything. I'm like, you need to go to court at least one time for all morning long. I mean, I want you there from 8.30 to 12.30. I want you to watch the whole kitten caboodle and then tell me that you think this is going to go well and that, you know, whatever you want, of course you're going to get. Because I think if anybody sits in court long enough, you see the randomness of it. And great idea. Oh, I have found it very helpful. 
Did they Very do helpful to send people to look. And I'm like, it's way cheaper for you to go for a morning than for you to pay for one motion for us to both go and sit there. And so you go see how you like it, see what you think, and then let's talk about it. And um, because I don't think people have a clue about how random it is. Right. And not only are you going to spend a bunch of time and money and be emotionally exhausted after this and get a decision that you may not like, but also you're going to like ruin your ability to co-parent because (laughs) in order for you to win, you have to say bad things about the other person and talk about what a copy parent they are. If you don't think they're a copy parent, then you're not going to win your motion. So you're going to have to, you know, find some crappy things about them because that's what the law, like that's the process that we force on you. It's, and that is, I mean, you have hit the nail on the head to me of all the things it's the stuff you put in declarations and it's the stuff so many attorneys will blow up in a declaration and write these just vitriolic declarations. I mean, and as a guardian ad litem, I won't read them before I meet the parents because I have learned that I read all this insanity that the attorneys have written before we do our first meeting. I mean, I'm already like having all kinds of ideas about things that I shouldn't have. And so I just love being able to meet people as they are. And then obviously I have to go back and read all that in the court file, but I can meet them just with them and for them and about them. And it is so interesting to me. I mean, it is distinctly fascinating to meet the parents hear just their true feelings about what they're trying to accomplish. And then I read the declarations and I'm often like, well, wow, it is no wonder you two are in the situation you're in now because you just had these attorneys literally write these just missives that are horrible about each other. And I just don't feel like declarations are very helpful at all in co-parenting at all. No, it's, it's not a way, it's not a good way to resolve anything. Right. Yeah. And that's a whole nother, we, we could have a whole podcast on how the court is just, I mean, family should not be set up in my mind in a win lose environment. That's just not, it's not productive because obviously the goal is that both parents win and can be productive moving forward. And that the child is the ultimate winner that both their parents are trying to help maximize them into their best self. And so none of that involves a loss, you know, and trying to get to that and get people to understand that. I mean, the ideal model is a win, 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 you know, not a win, lose. And so, okay, I guess you and I are going to just have to go back to the drawing board and keep working, trying. I mean, because I think changing how divorce is, is run is the only way to make it better. Like where the, all of divorce needs to, to look differently than it does now. I but agree. Is- there's so much, there's so much positioning by attorneys and, you know, instigating of conflict. There's a lot of opposing counsels that just, they don't really don't care. They're just trying to bill and you can make the most billable hours by creating more conflict, which is, that's not what, that's not how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be, you know, on our client sides and kind of help them move through this, you know, really hard time in their life. Right. Even, you know, yeah. mediation, is supposed to be, we're supposed to come together and figure out a solution. But when attorneys write mediation letters, their mediation letters are really abrasive and really, you know, unfair. And the other party 
I'd have to be like, don't read that yet. You know, that's, that's our lawyer. Like, because it, from the get go, then they're not in a place where they can settle or have a discussion because they're looking at all the lies or mischaracterizations of truth or accusations that are in those, you know, yeah. letters that we say we're doing, you know, to help them reach a solution. But then they start, we push them even farther apart, like before we've even started the day. It's so true. I mean, uh, it is so true. I mean, there are times that I'll ask somebody, I'm like, do you actually want to read this letter, you know, or do you want to just start the mediation? And then maybe you can read it, you know, during the day, once you've gotten to know the mediator and just understood a little bit more about the process, because I mean, I've had people read mediation letters and they have sought to cancel mediation because of the mediation letter. How unproductive is that? I mean, let's be serious. Yeah, no, it's really frustrating. It really is. And I think it does such a disservice too. in my mind as attorneys, if we are not honest about our positives and negatives, how do we manage their expectations properly? You know, because I want my client to fully appreciate their negatives. Do you know what I mean? So that they can understand what their Achilles heel is and what is the thing that somebody else is going to grab onto that's going to be a problem for them so that when they're in mediation, they can understand, oh, you know, this is an issue of mine. This this is something that might glob onto. Like, I'm not, you know, free from all fault. I'm a regular person who's done some things, you know, wrong. And I think sometimes when attorneys come in all guns blazing and, you know, my client, like I feel sometimes like they come in with their angel costumes, you know, lit in light, like they're these perfect people. And I'm just like, whoa, who are you talking about? You know, because I don't know, my experience is, I mean, you know, there's always play from both sides. I mean, there's problems, you know, that's how these problems happen. And it's just, it's important, I think, for client control for us to be able to look at the negative and the positive and help them frame it in a way that they can address it and move forward. Because obviously we all have strengths and weaknesses and trying to figure out how can we get them to parent in their strengths? I mean, and let's not parent in our weaknesses, you know, but I sometimes think attorneys spend all their time focused on their weaknesses. And I'm just like, we're losing track of what we're trying to accomplish here. Well, and how can anyone, how can we expect anyone to be receptive to acknowledging their faults when they're being thrown at them and insulted basically? I mean, that's, that's like what we do and that's what we're trained to do. Like even, you know, I still do consults with people will be like, are you a pit bull or are you a bulldog or whatever? And I'm like, no, no, (laughs) I I don't think that makes sense. Nobody wins. I mean, it's like everything we just talked about. Yeah, we can do that, but it's not going to make anybody happy. Um, It's going to be really expensive. And then you're going to be frustrated and sad. And then, you know, you're still rolling the dice at the end of the day. Absolutely. I always say it's way better to be a golden retriever attorney, smart, wise, you know, I like that. I'll have to use that next time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I consider myself a golden retriever kind of attorney. Definitely not a pit bull. Cause I just think the pit bulls end up in messes all the time. They're always being like dog caught, you know, by the dog catcher. Whereas the golden retriever is there, you know, just chilling, looking good, giving some good answers and offering some solid advice, but with minus the drama. Yeah. Well, and I mean, as a child who 
whose parents couldn't sit at my soccer games together without creating some sort of really embarrassing conflict, <laughs> stressing me out. Um, I wish some, I wish my parents' lawyers would have been like, stop it, stop it. There's no reason for you guys to fight over this. You both love the kids, you know, give here, give here, do it for your kids. Don't do it right. for you. Don't do it because you did the dishes more or whatever, or whoever cheated on whoever again, do it for your kids. I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like sitting at soccer games and worrying about parent drama. I mean, it's got to be so hard on a child. Yeah. Well, that's why it also frustrates me to see parents, you know, create conflict and not let the other kid come to the games or whatever it is, you know, absent like, you know, domestic violence and, you know, serious issues. It's just, it's just about figuring out how to work with that person and, and you don't need to win. Like people think that they need to like win the relationship and everyone needs to agree that they're right, but you're never going to do that. That's never going to happen. And if people right. could stop focusing on, you know, winning and, you know, needing everybody else to acknowledge that they were right in the relationship, they could kind of move on. I think people exactly that too. Well, and one thing I do tell people, and I, I always tell them it's counterintuitive. And I think a lot of people have Listen to, I always tell them you win as the co-parent when you're the parent encouraging the relationship with the other parent. I mean, you then are the winning parent and it, it will play out as your child gets older. It will play out in everything you do. If you are always considering how can you advance their relationship with the other parent and not be in a, excuse my French, but a pissing match over things like, you know, what day of the year you have, or, I mean, there was something I was talking to Doug about recently on Doug and I did an interview and I mean, like holidays, we've never, ever, ever said we must have Christmas or we must have this. We literally both look to our exes and we're like, what do you want to do? And then we'll do the, the, the other, I mean, it's just not, I mean, I don't know. It's just not an important battle to engage in, in my mind. And our kids, they've had Thanksgivings multiple times, you know, where they're going to Thanksgiving dinner, multiple dinners, and they've never complained about multiple Thanksgiving dinners. They're game for that. And, you know, same with Christmas and doing things. And it's just, they've always just known that we're going to be flexible. We're never going to put pressure on them. Who's got to come where? I mean, because we think about it too. Imagine as they get older in their own families, like they get married and have children, what's going to happen if we're like, freaking out. Like we need to see these grandchildren on this day. I mean, that just makes life a mess. Like it just seems like you just would put a big wrench in your relationship. And I mean, we are just the opposite. We are like, you come see us when you want, we'll come see you. We'll, you know, just, we're very, very flexible. And I think that helps children just know that it's okay to love all their people. And, and there's just no fighting about it at all. And I think that's really cool. And I mean, especially when kids get older, then they come home from college or whatever, and they have very limited time. They do. So if you didn't go to trial or you didn't go to hearings on this and that and have to bash each other and put yourselves in a place where you really, you know, stresses you out to get an email or a text from them. Right. I mean, it feels so nice as a kid just to see your parents all be able to suck it up and be in the same room and have a totally. holiday together. Um, so we did, um, my daughter's dad and I, we did Thanksgiving, um, together this year. That's awesome. 
And my parents have been able to do that while they have their years, Um, but they've been able to do that too. And I can tell how happy my daughter is, you know, just to have everybody be in the same place. And I don't know, they just feel love. They don't care about whether it's the 25th or the 24th. They don't even know what that means. (laughs) Exactly. They have no idea. And I think when people get so wrapped around the axle about that, it's just, they lose just real track of what it matters, what matters to the child and what a holiday looks like and what it's, how they're going to remember it, you know? And it really, it makes me sad, but, um, well, I really, really appreciate your time today. And I mean, I can't even tell you the cat poop. I mean, that has been <laughs> everything. I mean, I now that. I realize we're going to have to open up our Slack channel. Clearly, we have this untapped knowledge of that I did not know about. So I do think you should share this because I think Samantha's going to want to know about this as well. I will. I wonder I'm going to building my duty of yeah. spreading the word. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, definitely. Well, I appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And it's beautiful here in the area. So is it beautiful there in Seattle? It is. It's really yeah. Nice. So I hope y'all get to get out today and enjoy some time outside because it's lovely. Thanks so Thank much you. for joining me. Thank you for having okay. me. Bye. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.